Chapter 8 of Diversions in Sicily by H. Festing Jones. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mount Eryx. Chapter 8. Monte San Giuliano. Three or four miles inland from Trapani, at the northwest corner of Sicily, rises a precipitous solitary mountain nearly 2,500 feet high, with a town on the top. A motor-bus makes a circuit of the mountain, taking one up to the town in about an hour. It proceeds inland past the church of the Annunziata, the famous shrine of the Madonna di Trapani, and the ascent soon begins. As one looks back toward the sea, Trapani gradually assumes the form that gave it its Greek name of Drapanum, for it juts out toward the island of Levanzo like a sickle, with the sea roaring all round it marsala is usually visible beyond the innumerable salt pans and windmills one of these windmills is especially pleasing it consists of five or six dummy ships with real sails on a pond these ships form as it were the rim of a wheel lying on its side the spokes being poles which attach the ships to the axle an island in the middle of the pond the wind blows and the ships race after one another round and round the pond causing the poles to work the mechanism which is inside the island the manufacture of salt is one of the chief industries of trapani and one of the chief causes of its wealth in sicily it practically never rains during the summer the sea water is collected in large open pans being raised by means of the screw which has been in use all over the island for nearly twenty-two centuries ever since archimedes invented it to remove the water from the hold of one of hierro's ships at siracusa all through the summer the heat of the sun evaporates the moisture leaving the salt which is afterwards exported to newfoundland norway the north of france and many other countries and used for salting fish and other purposes the road continues to ascend and the horizon appears to ascend also so that the sea takes up with it the Agadean islands till presently Maritimo looks over the top of Levanzo, while Favognana lies away to the left. The Isola Grande, San Pantaleo, the fourth island, is not a prominent object, being low and near the land, a good deal to the south towards Marsala, but in former times, when it was Motia, it was the most important of them all the sea extends right and left till it is lost in the haze which so commonly obscures a sicilian horizon the road goes more and more inland and still rising diverges from the shorter road taken by the old horse bus and passes through paparella presently the mountain shuts out trapani in the sea and then the country lying inland about the base of the mountain comes into view bounded by a distant amphitheatre and as the road completes the circuit of the mountain and still rising joins the other shorter road at the trapani gate of the town the sea comes into sight again with the horizon high above trapani and the promontory of capo san vito bounding it on the right this mountain formerly world-renowned as mount eryx and still often called monte erice is now monte san giuliano and gives its name both to the town on the top and to the comune of which that town is the chief place the highest point of the town is towards the east of the mountain top and here are several towers some belonging to the castello a norman fortress and others to le torri the summer residence of count pepoli on the north east and south sides of the summit the mountain is precipitous 
but towards the west it slopes from the towers through a public garden called the balio and then through a maze of narrow winding streets down to the trapani gate the normal population of the town is about four thousand but in the summer and autumn this is largely increased inasmuch as the great heat of trapani and the low country drives as many as can afford it to live on the summit where it is seldom too hot the rest of the comune lies dotted about on the plain at the foot of the mountain and consists of a dozen small villages all visible from the summit these have mostly grown up within the last hundred years or so as colonies from the chief town for when the country was less secure the women and children were left within the town walls while the men went down to work in the fields and to fish in the sea returning for sundays and festas and gradually as it became possible settlements were formed below to which the women and children could safely be moved custonace however one of the villages of the comune did not spring up in this way and is of older date than the others the peculiar charm of the mountain cannot be fully realized unless one visits it at all seasons and in all weathers i have been there in the winter the summit was hidden in a cloud which as we drove up into it obscured the view and chilled the marrow it was before the days of the motor when a horse bus did the journey by a shorter route in about three hours i was on the box with the coachman who gave me a spare cloak with a hood to keep me dry and warm two of my friends natives of the mountain one a doctor and the other the accountant to the municipio were at the trapani gate to meet me both in hooded cloaks so that i did not recognize them till they spoke the wind was tremendous the narrow sloping streets were running with water as we walked up through the town to the albergo where donna anna received us there was no blazing fire or warm room as there would have been in an english inn only semi-darkness and dampness the damp had patched the painting on the ceiling and disfigured the whitewashed walls on which were hung a few pictures a lithograph of the madonna di custonaci a cheap crucifixion a reproduction of the design for the monument to vittorio emanuele in rome three shiny chromolithographs of english country scenes representing the four seasons minus one an absurd french engraving education maternelle and san francesco da paolo with a shell for holy water san francesco belongs to south italy but he is a favourite in sicily because he walked across the straits of messina to carry the last sacraments to a dying man on the undulating tiled floor were a few of the rugs peculiar to the neighbourhood they are made by the natives on looms the length being thin strong string and the width white black and coloured cotton rags old petticoats shirts aprons and so on washed clean and torn into narrow strips with a little ingenuity they make the colours go in simple patterns chiefly diamonds and zigzags but sometimes they are more daring and attempt drinking cups etc the most effective are made by running the strips in rows without any regard to pattern some winds blow some clouds away but the roots of this cloud were so firmly wedged in among the narrow streets and through the cracks of the doors and windows which would not shut close that this wind could do nothing with it but blow it more deeply in and the house was full of mist like the albert hall in a winter fog the natives consider it more healthy to keep the same temperature indoors and out so there is not a house on the mountain with a fireplace and only a few with stoves the absence of chimneys is a feature of the town as it is of other sicilian towns that can bear their absence better 
and these are the people who commiserate an Englishman on being compelled to live in our cold, damp, foggy island. In support of my statement that we do occasionally see the sun, I showed them a picture postcard of a house in London standing in a garden. It was midday, but we had to have a lamp to see the picture. Nevertheless, they supposed that the flowers were artificial and were renewed when we had a festa, because, of course, real flowers will not grow in our perpetual fog. I told them that our fogs prevent flowers from growing in England just as much as their brigands prevent foreigners from travelling in Sicily, and that both are more spoken of than seen. It must, however, be admitted that the natives do not appear to suffer from the effects of their climate. They boast that statistics show them to be particularly free from pulmonary complaints and to have an unusually low death rate. As the doctor said in a tone of professional discontent, they enjoy an epidemic of good health. Supper consisted of macaroni, bread, and wine, and the tablecloth and napkins were as damp as one's towels after a bath. My two friends sat with me and introduced me to a student with a slight cast in one of his melancholy eyes, a misty tenor voice, and the facile Italian smile, who had come up from Castelvetrano to study a little philosophy and supped with me. When it was bedtime, they all three came with Donna Anna into my bedroom to make sure that I was comfortable, and the old landlady took the opportunity of consulting the accountant about the prisoners. Although the inhabitants of the province of Trapani are all good people, nevertheless, now and then, some slight crime is committed, an occasional wounding, a simple stabbing or so, and consequently it is convenient to have a prison handy. Part of the castle on the mountain is used for the purpose, and Donna Anna provides the prisoners with their food and also sees to their sheets, bedding, etc. They could not have a better matron, and if she keeps everything in the prison as clean and good as it is in her house, I am afraid she may perhaps make the prisoners more comfortable than they deserve. When she had disposed of her business, she asked me whether I should like some fire in my bed. I was going to decline not being in the habit of using a warming pan, but then I thought of the tablecloth and the napkins at supper, and my friend said that every one on the mountain always has fire in the bed in cold, damp weather. So I agreed, and Donna Anna fetched what looked like a flower-pot containing hot charcoal. She put this between my sheets with a wicker cage over it, and presently shifted its position. I wanted her to leave it all night in a corner of the room to take the chill off, but this met with opposition from all, because they did not wish me to be found in the morning asphyxiated in my sleep like a Parisian milliner in a novel. I would have chanced it, had I been allowed, for the milliners always have the greatest difficulty in stopping up all the chinks, and even then occasionally survive. Whereas, although Donna Anna pinned up a blanket across my window, it did not keep out the gale that was raging all about the room. The general opinion being against the charcoal, I acquiesced, and it was taken back to its home in the kitchen. It was the only fire in the house, and was what Dickens would have called an honest and stout little fire. It had cooked the macaroni for supper, and, after warming all the beds, went back to rest from its labor until the morning, when it would be called to make the coffee for breakfast. It deserved its rest, not that it dried my sheets, but it warmed them and the doctor assured me that it is the coldness and not the dampness of wet sheets that gives one a chill, so he considered me practically safe. 
if only i had a cold at the time he said i should have been completely safe on the principle that one must be off with the old cold before one can be on with the new owing doubtless to the kindly influence of the good little fire i passed a comfortable night and took no harm when i came down in the morning there was the student immersed in his philosophy the industrious little fire had obligingly allowed itself to be coaxed into two and he had secured part of it in a flower-pot on the floor between his feet and had a rug over his knees the cloud was as thick and the wind as boisterous as it had been the day before so i followed his example got another flower-pot split off a bit of fire for myself and sat down with a rug the next morning the cloud had gone and i returned to trapani the bus started very early and i had to rise before the sun but the view would have repaid sitting up all night we saw maratimo hovering over levanzo on the horizon all highest up in the sea to the west as ithaca is described in the odyssey we saw ustica floating over cofano and capo san vito we looked down on custonaci the sanctuary of the madonna and the great curve of the bay from cofano to the foot of the mountain we gazed over the low undulating country covered with villages roads fields and villas that lay all around us on the inland sides the country through which in eighteen sixty garibaldi marched to calatafimi with his thousand volunteers after landing at marsala we saw monte inice and the heights above segesta we saw pantellaria halfway to africa but we could not see africa itself for cape bon is only visible under very exceptional atmospheric conditions i have been on the mountain in the spring and eaten quails for supper it was the time of their migration and they had been caught as they rested on the islands i have never been able to ascertain exactly what it is that the quails do first i read in a book that when going north in the spring they rest on levanzo and when returning south in the autumn on favognana levanzo being north of favognana this meant that in both cases they choose for their resting place the second island they come to there is no mistake about this being what i read for i made a memoria technica about it at the time out of what rockstro my old counterpoint master used to say musicians do in performing the diatonic major scale unaccompanied in ascending they pass over the grave supertonic and take the acute supertonic and in descending they pass over the acute supertonic and take the grave supertonic the two supertonics being only a comma apart as the two islands are only a very little way from one another then i was told by a native of trapani that this is just what the quails do not do and that in fact they rest on the first island they come to namely on favognana when going north and on levanzo when going south being too tired to fly across the geographical comma that divides the two islands i was next told by another native of trapani that the quails rest on all the three islands indiscriminately and not merely on levanzo and favognana thus destroying any attempt at purity of intonation and introducing equal temperament along with maratimo which had not hitherto been touched upon he also said that if in any year it was found that the quails avoided any one of the islands the reason would be that there were too many people on it finally i was told by another native that when the quails were going north in the spring of nineteen o six the wind suddenly changed and blew most of them into trapani itself and people picked them up by hundreds in the streets it does not matter of course so long as one gets the quails for supper 
but if one really did want to know one would have as much difficulty as in finding out how orlando got hold of la durlandana and where it originally came from the student from castelvetrano was still there with his melancholy eyes studying philosophy he said he found the mountain more suitable for his purpose than his native town because it was more tranquil i had been at castelvetrano but had not noticed that it was a particularly noisy place indeed i could no more have distinguished between the tranquillity of castelvetrano and that of the mountain than between the acute and the grave supertonic the next time i met this student he had completed his studies and was employed as a clerk in the italian railway station at chiasso the frontier town on the san gotardo at an annual salary of one thousand eighty lire which is about forty three pounds four shillings he could hardly have been sent to a station more remote from his native town he had had a holiday of twelve days and had gone home to embrace his adorata mamma the government gave him a free pass so he travelled by rail crossing from reggio to messina and it took him forty-six hours when he arrived at castelvetrano he was so knocked up by the journey and the change of air that he was obliged to go to bed where he remained till it was time for him to get up and return to chiasso and this means that he was in bed for more than a fortnight because his holiday was extended to twenty days in consideration of his illness he was quite contented about his position and prospects and told me these facts without any complaint on the whole mount eryx would appear to be not such a bad school for philosophers nevertheless when one considers the large part played in evolution by the inherited desire of the organism to live beyond its income one may doubt whether it is good for a country's progress that many of its men should be so philosophically contented with so little they do not however include the whole of the population for italy cannot be said to be without examples of aggressive discontent it is somewhere between the two extremes that practical common sense should be looked for in the meantime if it is a question of sharing a supper of spring quails on mount eryx a peaceful gentle philosopher is probably a more agreeable companion than a socialistic nihilist if one had the power of choosing one's company this philosopher would counsel one not to exercise it for he looks upon choosing as a presumptuous kind of trying to control nature i pointed out that one cannot altogether detach oneself from nature and that doing nothing is still choosing not to choose but he replied that it is the lesser evil as in choosing not to write a tragedy in five acts which i had to admit can seldom be wrong further he asked inasmuch as we had neither arranged our meeting nor ordered the quails were we not at the moment both enjoying the advantage of having acted on his philosophy i bowed and said i had been particularly fortunate this evening but in sicily one is always safe because the people are so charming that the art of travelling among them consists in allowing things to happen and in being ready to welcome whatever may come perhaps the best season for going on the mountain is the late summer and early autumn when the trapanese come up for the villegiatura it is not too hot during the day as it is by the sea and it can be almost chilly by night which it never is below every one is in a holiday frame of mind even the ladies of eric's go out whereas during the winter they seldom leave the house unless perhaps after a storm for a turn in the balio to see how the trees look when laden with snow 
there are picnics and excursions to other places on the slopes of the mountain where friends are passing the summer who presently return the visits by coming up to breakfast with us there is a touring company performing in the theatre there is music there are drives and all manner of quiet amusements on the mainland of italy tobacconist shops display the royal arms with a notice that they are licensed to sell tobacco and salt here a license is necessary only for tobacco salt being free in sicily this combines with the absence of rain to make the manufacture of salt profitable but should a thunderstorm dilute the pans the fresh water must be evaporated out again and time and money are lost storms come so rarely in the summer however that the caprices of the weather interfere but little either with the salt works or the excursions if there is no excursion or no special occupation we go to the cafe or the club or call on the chemist who is sure to be surrounded by friends or sit in the balio smoking and talking nonsense by the hour and there is always the inexhaustible wonder of the great view the spacious dome of the sky which curves above and around unites at the horizon with the inverted dome of the earth and sea which curves around and below the two together forming an enormous hollow globe in the midst of which the top of the mountain seems to be suspended like the floating island of laputa conte popoli can sit in his castle and watch the half-tame ravens with little silver bells on their necks as they flit around the window and perch on the crazy wooden balcony where an old priest is asleep in a chair over the edge of a precipice of many hundred feet backed by leagues upon leagues of sicily End of chapter 8